Luke 2, 25-38, Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises. Now there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There also was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel in the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Good evening. Let me have my welcome. My name's uh, Matt Fuller, one of the ministers here. Just... For a few minutes, whether uh, these things are very incredibly familiar to us or uh, we're a little vague on Christmas, I just want to spend a few minutes talking about the meaning of what um, we've sung of already uh, this evening. Some, some people can be a little foggy on what Christmas is about. I don't know if you saw in the press this week, one of the national newspapers carried out a survey of primary school children to uh, ask them just some basic questions about the nativity story. Uh, Let me pick out my favorite answers. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, which is a long, long way away, in Liverpool, (laughs) says Charlie, age five. The wise men brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which was very silly of them. Obviously, Jesus would have preferred Lego or wrestling toys, (laughs) said Jay, aged four. Jesus was born in a stable with sheep, horses, and a crocodile. Hmm, happily not, Alice, age six. The angel Gabriel is a big fat fairy who... (laughs) Careful. Who helped Mary and Joseph look after the baby. A bit like a doctor, really, said Zoe. My favourite was Adam, age five. Jesus was a king, and he wore a very small crown. Probably knitted by his nana. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? A little bit of confusion. Let's, uh, I just want to look back at that reading we had, the, the last one, so that these two individuals can uh, perhaps shed a little bit of light on uh, those events of Christmas. These two old prophets, Simeon and Anna, both of them seemingly near the point of their death. And uh, let me just make three comments, really, three things we can learn from them about the nature of this baby that was born that first Christmas. The first is simply this. He was a predicted baby. He was a predicted baby. 
So um, verse 25, if you've got that still open, the small number 25, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the one the Old Testament had promised who would come and rescue Israel from capture, captivity. Or Anna, right at the end, but little verse 38. Coming up to them at that very moment, she, Anna, gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were, what were they doing? They were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Now, everyone knew this. Um, in the previous reading, we had uh, the kings, they arrive in Jerusalem, we're looking for uh, the birth of a king, and all the prophet, all the, uh, the teachers there said, yeah, we know. We know that there's someone coming because the Old Testament is stuffed full of promises, predictions, that a king would come to rescue his people. I mean, there's at least 40 times in the Old Testament, centuries before, that predict the coming of this king. That's very striking. In that reading, uh, when the kings come, a couple will quote it. The one from Micah we had right at the very beginning, that Bethlehem would be the place he was born. I don't know, 700 odd years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Or that he'd have to flee to Egypt to escape being killed. Again, 700 years earlier. Now that is, in, I mean, that's extraordinary really, isn't it? To have that sort of prediction. I mean, all babies are predicted to a certain extent, normally about nine months in advance. There's going to be a royal baby next year, did you know? And, um, you know, about nine months in advance, but this one, up to 800 years in advance, some of these predictions. That's extraordinary, isn't it? Imagine if um, in the Magna Carta, 1215, there was embedded in the Magna Carta a little prediction. There isn't. But imagine there was. There will come from Scotland one descended from the tribe of Cameron. He will be born in London, grow up in Peasmore, a little village in Berkshire, his father will um, uh, have malformed legs. He'll be uh, educated at Eton and Oxford. He will grow up to rule the land. But at a young age, he will lose one of his children, tragically. Oh, very interesting, 800 years ago, that's written. Now, of course, when Cameron perhaps entered, David Cameron entered Parliament in uh, 2001, and people sort of, oh, Cameron, oh, that would freak you out a little bit, wouldn't it? If you read all those things and there was a man who fitted that description emphatically, that would be a little bit bizarre. And of course, that is what is being claimed here. These predictions of the life of Jesus were very detailed. That he would be descended from the tribe of David, would be born in this tiny village of Bethlehem, would be raised in the region of Galilee, would have to flee to Egypt as a youth for this, um, to save his life. Extraordinary detail. And then, of course, on his death, he'd die a gruesome death alongside criminals. He'd be made to drink vinegar. His clothes would be gambled for. His side would be stabbed with a spear. Extraordinary amount of detail given. Now, given that, that is at least interesting, isn't it? That centuries beforehand, that level of detailed prediction was given about this man. You'd want to take him at least a little bit seriously. Investigate that, wouldn't you? I mean, that's intriguing. Many do not. Of course, many don't. Many won't look at the claims of Jesus Christ. I, 
I don't know if that's you, and I don't know why it would be. For some, it's they just don't want it to be true. Or you can get set in a, just a groupthink where you assume it's not true without ever actually ever looking at it. You put it this way. I don't mean to cause offence to anyone with this uh, little illustration. But um, Nate Silver. Nate Silver, a genius a statistician um, in the United States, has made an awful lot of money from predicting election results. So back in 2008, when he predicted the um, presidential election, he called accurately 49 out of 50 states how they'd turn, and um, with remarkable amount of detail. So come 2012, of course, he's getting paid now a lot of money to do the precisely the same thing. And you'd think, given his track record of prediction, that people would take him seriously. But many refused to. I mean, he was predicting uh, a win for Barack Obama. And some, of course, just don't, just don't want that to be true. You just get set in your own group way of thinking, that cannot be true. I don't want it to be true. But, of course, ultimately, there comes a day of reckoning. There is an election. And Nate Silver called 50 out of 50 states and is now worth even more money for his skill. What is biblically? Why would you not look at the claims of Jesus Christ given the detailed prediction that's been fulfilled? Because one day there'll be a day of reckoning, we have to stand before him, what would be made of him? He's a predicted child. Simeon knew that, Anna knew that. That's the first little thing he's predicted. He's a predicted baby. Second thing, uh, more briefly, he's a saving baby. Verse 28. Back to Simeon. Verse 28, Simeon took him in his arms. Now that's a big moment, isn't it, for Simeon? If you do think you're holding the king who's been promised for centuries, you don't want to drop him, bounce him on the floor. That would be a bit awkward. Um, so a big moment for Simeon. Takes him in his arms, verse 28, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Parents probably whispered to him, Jesus actually is his name, not salvation, not to worry, Jesus. But Simeon says, I've seen, I've seen the Lord's salvation here. Their names, of course, matter. Why does he call him that? The name you give matters. Tangent. Uh, I saw Labrooks this week. Um, the royal baby, you can put a little flutter on, I'm not encouraging it, but you could put a little flutter on uh, uh, the name of the royal baby. Favourite, uh, eight to one, is Elizabeth. Probably not if it's a boy. Um, if it's a boy, ten to one, Charles or John. Those are your, your sort of the, the leading favourites. If you wanted to, you could go for an outlier, you could put a bet on at a thousand to one on Wayne. <laughs> or Chardonnay. That'd be fun, wouldn't it? If the royals just decided to break the mould right open there. But names matter, and Simeon says, I'm holding in my arms the Lord's salvation. He is a saviour. Of course, in one sense, that's familiar language at Christmas time. Let me just push on it a little bit. Jesus grows up and also claims to be a saviour. He does not say, I'm a teacher. Now, every religion or philosophy has a teacher. It doesn't matter if it's Muhammad or Buddha or a secular um, philosophy. A Richard Dawkins, they will all say, let me teach you. Let me teach you and you will be enlightened. You're very bright people, but let me teach you and you'll be a little bit better. Let me teach you. Jesus doesn't say that. He comes along and says, let me save you. 
Very different. I've not come primarily... Simeon doesn't say, here's one who will be a wonderful prophet who will teach us extraordinary things. He says, here's one who will save. Very different. I don't know if you uh, watch still on, um, on uh, uh, Christmas Day, the Queen's speech. You should do, it's terrific. But um, sort of part of the ceremony, isn't it, really? But uh, the, the Queen is one who gets this. I don't know if you remember last year. She recognizes this difference. She said... Although we're capable of great acts of kindness, history teaches us that we sometimes need saving from ourselves, from our recklessness or our greed. God sent into the world a unique person, neither a philosopher nor a general, useful though they are, but a saviour with the power to forgive. See, there's a woman who understands it. Not a teacher, not a philosopher, not a military leader. A saviour. Because that's what we need, one who'll save us so we can be forgiven. Well, let me put it uh, somewhat differently. I don't know if you saw in the press uh, again last week. Dr. Dilip Joseph was an American guy working with an NGO in Afghanistan. And about two weeks ago was captured by the Taliban and held in a compound. A week later, intelligence suggested he was going to die. He was at the point of death. Wonderfully for him and his family, uh, a Navy SEAL team was sent in to rescue Dr. Joseph, and they shot their way into the compound and reached the man. What they didn't do, they didn't say, nice to see you, here's a gun, pull this thing back, press here, shoot your way out, have a go, son, see how you get on. They said, we're here to rescue you, threw the bloke over their shoulder, one of them, and ran out in the firefight. He didn't want a teacher. He wanted someone to rescue him. Now, tragically, in the course of that rescue, one of the, uh, one of the Navy SEALs, Nicholas Czech, lost his life. And so I take it that this Christmas, Dr. Joseph, having been reunited with his family in the States, will, if nothing else, raise a glass to petty officer Nicholas Czech and say, you died two weeks ago, so I can be rescued here with my family. He doesn't say, thank you for teaching me. You're such a wonderful teacher, such profound things. He'll say, thank you that you died, so that I can be rescued. Simeon is saying, what I hold in my arms here is a baby who'll grow up to be a man who'll die on a cross so we can be rescued, can be forgiven. This baby is a saviour. He's a saving baby. Third and last, he's a suffering baby. So he's a predicted baby, saving baby, last thing. He's a suffering baby, right at the end of this little reading. Verse 33, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Yes, it's like parents on a parent's evening. Your, your child will do extraordinary things. Oh, that's wonderful. Marvelous. Verse 34, then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. So the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Oh, so he'll be divisive. And last thing, Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul too. Mary, you'll watch him die as a young man in his 30s. Here's a prediction of that event that would happen when he grows up. Now, here's, the extra- here's one thing extraordinary about God coming down in the baby at Christmas time. It is an enormous resource for you 
if actually this Christmas is one of suffering. Or to put it another way, I don't know what you say to the families of 20 children who died in Sandy Hook, Connecticut. What do you say to them? I read in the paper that many have taken down their Christmas decorations and said, not this year. I just can't do it. Um, one or two here said, I don't want to sing in the choir. I, don't, I can't do it. It's not, not after that. Too tragic. What do you say to them? Well, if you're the secularist, I guess you say something like, well, there is no God, this proves that, and you're just unlucky. Sorry that it happened to you, really sorry. That's just how life is, unlucky. There is no comfort in that. To being told you're unlucky is just creates bitterness, anger. You could be the religious fool, as some in the States have been saying, ha ha, you know, this is because they've taken religion out of schools in the States. Brilliant, well done you. Foolish thing to say. Or the Buddhist who would say, it's just karma. What comes around goes around. Just pay back for what you've done in a previous life. Well, thank you for that. That's wonderfully comforting at a time. Thank you for your faith. What does this baby say? The one that Simeon holds in his arms. Well, here is God come down. And... For whatever reason God has made this world as it is, with human beings who suffer and grieve and die and where there is pain, you have to say at least this. God plays by his own rules. And God has swallowed his own medicine. Because this baby, of course, would grow up to be one who would work hard as a carpenter, would have no money to live on, would suffer rejection, the vilest punishment and cruelty, and ultimately would suffer death. You have to say that God knows. And if nothing else, you can say in the suffering, God is not distant, God is not aloof, God is not uncaring, he knows. He's experienced this himself and... He did so, so you, he died on that cross so that you might be forgiven and go to a world where there is no more pain and suffering. This baby is a suffering child, born in poverty, died in disgrace, so that we can go through the suffering of this life to a better world. I don't know what you make of this baby at Christmas time. He's a predicted baby. He's a saving baby. He's a suffering baby. Whether you've been Christians for years or uncertain about such things, distant from such things, you've got to consider this baby. It's a wonderful thing that God shrunk himself down to a baby that Simeon could hold that first Christmas time. Let me lead us in a brief, brief prayer. Our Father, if we've forgotten this Christmas or are uncertain why we sing such wonderful words, why you've inspired such wonderful music, would you remind us that it is because it is a wonderful thing that you came that first Christmas, as predicted across the centuries, to suffer so that we could be saved. And we pray we'd understand that more clearly this year. Amen.